Crippled Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Let's shine a bright light on sex and disability together. Connect with me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A, and use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to episode 30 of Disability After Dark. Wherever you're listening, whether it be on your computer, your phone, your iPod, if we still use that, but those are pretty obsolete now. Wherever it is you're listening, thank you so much for making disability a part of your discussion and wanting to shine a bright light on sex and disability with me. I'm so, so excited that we've even reached 30. I can't even tell you. This is great. This is so fantastic. I really want to thank everybody who supported my Patreon page and Crippled Content by pledging there. It means so much that you're able to put your hard-earned money down into what I'm creating. It means a lot that you would take the time to focus on what I'm doing and help me to keep building these conversations and keep Crippled Content Creations going. Thank you so much. It means the world. If you want to pledge to that or look into the Patreon page or become a patron, go to www that patreon.com slash Andrew Gerza. There you can get prizes like you can help me build a show. You can help me. You can have a video chat with me once a month to talk about the show, to help me build better shows, to keep this conversation going for either both Disability After Dark or Disability with Drew. So please, if you can, pledge to my Patreon or let people know and let's keep these conversations going. But I appreciate everybody that's put their hard-earned money down you may have heard that uh, my audio has gotten way better. I was able to purchase proper equipment. Thank you so much for all your help. It means the world. Thank you. And also, now that we hit 30, I also want to thank the person who created the awesome intro. You may have heard around episode 4 or 5, I was able to put a new intro in. Actually, I think it was a little bit later than that. Uh, and Chris Sujuchi, a great Toronto artist and singer and just all around Jack of all trades in terms of entertainment, put it together for me, and I really, really appreciate it. So I have to give props to him and thank him for that. And this is just, because we've hit 30, I want to make sure everybody knows who's been a part of this to create this this show and help to put it together. I really, really appreciate all the help. I really do. So this episode is one that's been a long time coming, and I talked to somebody that's been following my work for a while now and basically you'll hear at the beginning of this interview they've 
used my work as a catalyst for what they do. And I was bowled over when they said that. I couldn't even believe that they were telling me this. I interviewed Amber DiPietra. She works at the Body Poetic. She is a she is somebody that does work around the body and disability. And she also said during our interview that she also works as a sex worker. This was amazing because she is somebody with disabilities. She is a, a woman with disabilities, many disabilities that make her very, very special in this in this line of work and very, very important and somebody that I needed to speak to. Um, she works around, not only does she work in sex work, she works with disabled people and the body and just the body generally. And she was really an important voice to speak to. We talked a lot about the body. We talked a little bit about sex work. We talked about her experiences as a sex worker, as a social justice person, looking at disability. She's had a really storied life doing this work. Um, and I really wanted to talk to her. She is in by trade. And I didn't say what she was before because I was kind of giving you an overview. But she is officially an intimacy coach, uh, a certified sexological body worker and disability advocate. We talk about sex work in this interview. Um, it was really, really nuanced and important. She had a lot to say. It was a great, great interview, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So here's my interview with the amazing Amber DiPietra right here on Disability After Dark. Hey, Amber, how you doing? Thanks so much for coming on Disability After Dark. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We, You and I have been, been kind of orbiting each other now for a while. We've seen each other's work and like, I'm not I'm not exactly sure how we connected, but I'm really glad we did. Yeah, um, I'm obsessed with podcasts. And so yours is one that I've been listening to for a long time now. Really been- yeah. In all its different iterations. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's been a few. Um, but I'm so, so glad you're here. And I, you're, the reason why I wanted to invite you on is because you do a lot of work in the disability community around sexuality and disability. So that's what kind of what I wanted to chat about with you today. Yeah. Um, well, you, your work has really been a leader in transforming me. I mean, my work around sexuality has been new. I was a disability advocate for years before I became very strongly a disability and sexuality advocate and a sex worker. I was more just a regular disability advocate working in government agencies. So in the last few years, people like yourself have really helped me to move forward. It's so great to know, because, you know, it's hard to do this work, you know this. It's tough to break out and start talking about sexuality and disability and actually engaging in, you know, work around sex and disability, whatever that is, isn't easy. So I'm really glad that what I do in my little, my little at-home, like, home-brewed podcasts and home-brewed ideas can help to change some minds out there. That's really great. As it gets lonely, and honestly, like, I'll listen to you while I cook or lay in bed at night, and I'm like, oh, there's Andrew. That's one person to feel hopeful about today, you know, when you feel like you're crazy for doing this work and really marginalized for it. Yeah, it's just so hard, the marginalization and the the loneliness of of being one of the only ones in, I mean, there there are a lot of us, but there are very few of us who have 
yourself included, have the the you know the guts to say, I want to do this work. I want to make this my job. This is what I'm going to do. It's it's not an easy road, and I really appreciate that you that you are doing it, and that you that you've used what I've done to kind of anchor yourself. That's great. Um, so why don't you kind of tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what it is that you and your, if you don't mind, your level of disability would be awesome. Sure. Well, I um, was born with rheumatoid arthritis, which basically, you know, a lot of people associate arthritis with elderly people or people, athletes who have had wear and tear. And um, But I had really profound degeneration of all of my bones. Um, by the time before I was two years old um, okay. from sort of like the immune system creating an arthritis you know uh, an autoimmune arthritis um, so what that looked like was I was in a wheelchair and used the walker through most of middle school and high school I've had my hips replaced three times my knee replaced um, and there's uh, secondary effects from the strong medication you take to get your pain and um, your immune system stabilized it causes eye degeneration so I'm blind in one eye and uh, low vision in the other okay um, that's a lot of stuff to be contending with and also trying to do this work so I mean that's wow uh, I also have anxiety and depression. <laughs> so. Don't you know what? So do I. So I get. I I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I have what I would refer to as disability depression. I've not been diagnosed as having clinical depression, but I have exactly. dealing with depression related to disability. One thousand percent related to my disability. So I, I understand that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't used to call that out. So I said, oh, that's just secondary. I'm depressed because of the issues I have with my disability. But now in solidarity with people who do have diagnosed mental health issues, then I, I do call it out because it's a thing. It's a real thing. Sometimes it's the biggest thing, more so than my physical Yeah, and it's something, it's really hard also to talk to health professionals about mental health and disability. It's very rare that they understand or have any experience with that to make it uh to be able to talk to somebody as a as a patient it's okay you, you're living with a disability like cool i have experience let's talk about that um so you mentioned as we're talking that you're also a sex worker um why I am mostly interested in that is because you are you live with you live the experience of disability, and it's very rare that we hear from people living with disabilities who engage in sex work. Typically, when we talk about sex work and disability, it's typically from the able-bodied sex worker giving the gift of sex work to the lowly, poor, sex-starved, disabled person. So I think it's really cool and really progressive that you have decided to provide services as a disabled person. That's something that's so unheard of. Can you do, would you care to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to tell you first what I look like because I know that matters and people are wondering. Um, I walk independently, um, but all of my, like my knees, my shoulders, my elbows, are all uh, bent, you know, so I look um, 
I look crippled, as as you would say. You know, my I, I awesome. don't stand up yeah. straight. I'm I'm very short stature. I'm uh, mistaken for a little person, although that's not technically my medical diagnosis. I'm four uh, seven, and uh, so four seven is it's about the size of a ten year old. Mm. Sure. Yeah. A, a short ten year old. Um, these days, and um, one of my eyes is very visibly blind. It's whitish gray. I don't turn my head or lift my chin very well. Um, and arthritis hands are very iconic, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. So my hands are very stunted. They didn't probably grow past the age of five years old. And, um, you know, it gives me immense pleasure to, in a sense of healing, to do erotic work with my hands that are intensely marked as crippled. So, yeah. That's kind of cool, though, because you can use what somebody would would automatically assume is not sexy and be like, look, I can transform this to be something positive for both of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's been a huge um, change in my life. And um, I always, I was always, uh, I think about this a lot, about what it means for a certain kind of straight woman with a disability. It's a very, you know, there's a certain situatedness to it. And you're taught to be very affectionate and very loving, and that's how you win favor, and you kind of got to stick close to your family and friends, almost physically close, because that might be true somewhat for men, but even more so for the, for the way that girls are encoded in our culture. You know? right. So all of that taught me to be a good sex worker, um, you know, and some it's a lot of performance, um, but it's an it's an authentic performance. I do love people. I love people's energy. I love physical touch. Um, so I knew early on that sexuality was a huge thing for me, um, just because I was yeah. an affectionate, intimate person from early on. Um, you and I sound very similar to each other. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then I had the, I, but I didn't date, I didn't have sex until I was about 23, 24. I mean, I had a horrible, borderline suicidal time where I thought that I never could date or a uh, very, very confusing time. And I grew up pretty sheltered. Um, you know, I grew up in Tampa, Florida. There's not... If I had lived in a different part of the world or the country, I might have had other experiences sooner. But I or even maybe a different part of Florida. Possibly. Florida's weird. You know, Florida have very much has that silicone, hard body, uh, uh, beach body. Yeah, if you go down south to like Miami or like Fort Lauderdale, but not so much Tampa, right? Tampa's a little bit not... Tampa, I, I grew up in a very Latin family of very beautiful women who just naturally look like gymnasts and you know so um, it was confusing for me uh, for sure and um, very Hispanic family that is overprotective to begin with and then to have a disabled girl where they're already overprotective um, so that just really interfered with the idea that I could ever work or have a sexuality or anything like that um, and then I moved to San Francisco when I was 23, and so then I just went nuts on the Craigslist casual encounters section because I figured out that I could have sex whenever I wanted it. 
Isn't that like the weirdestly liberating thing? I was the same way when I moved out of my my parents' house and I was on my own. The very first day that I was on my own, I was like, okay, I'm going to look for dick now. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, it happened even before I moved away. I already had like uh, scenarios, encounters worked out before I even flew in to SFO. Planned it out. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because you have to, because you, and it's nothing to do necessarily with your family. Like my family was not, they didn't shelter me, but I think when it came to, I think when it comes to sex and disability, I think when, when you live at home with your parents, before you get the chance to spread your wings, you shelter yourself as a disabled person. Definitely. Um, and so the minute you get to go free, you get to be free of those shackles, those self-imposed shackles, you like go crazy a little bit. There's a little, there's a moment of like, okay, I gotta suck all the dicks because I get to now. Yeah, there's a, definitely a binge that then happens after that, which yeah. is its own, you know, a blessing and a curse in some way. Because like the binge, then you got to figure out a lot of things after that. But um, yeah, and I mean, you were in such a a vibrant, sexually charged place too, San Francisco. I've never been, but from friends of mine who have been there and who go to like queer events and go to all the events that I would die to go to. It just sounds like such a sex, sexually charged place. It is. Um, and it, you know, and I have an even different perspective now because I, I left there about three or four years ago. It's a hard place to live. It's very, very expensive. It's very exhausting. People have two and three jobs. So I eventually did come back to be closer to my family and to a warmer climate. Um, so now that I'm back in Florida, I think a lot about it. I, you know, it's funny these delayed adolescences we have. I think sometimes of people with disabilities in that. Yep. So I wish I could do some of it over again because I was still figuring out some really rudimentary things throughout my 20s and early 30s that I was in San Francisco and. Now that I know those things and I'm more confident, I would have taken advantage of more stuff. Not that I didn't have wild times, but I, I did the whole long-term relationship thing there and got my heart broke big time. And Isn't it funny when you're a disabled person, and I'm just thinking about this as you're saying this, isn't it funny how sometimes we have to break our own hearts? We have yeah. to break, we have to like let ourselves get hurt because we're afraid that we're never going to get to have that experience? Yes. Yeah. No, it's definitely true. And and now what I'm learning is, oh, there will be another one and another one. So you don't, there are plenty of chances something... for your heart to get broken. <laughs> yeah, but I think as a disabled person, there's something almost like exciting about that. Not that it's fun to ever have your heart broken, but I think it's scary to think that as a disabled person, that might not ever happen for you. Yeah, you know, I think um, in my case, I stayed in a long-term relationship much longer than I knew was good for us. I mean, he was a yeah. great guy, but all signs pointed to we needed to go our own ways. Um, and I was, you know, in my mid-20s, there's no reason I couldn't have done that. But I, I waited for much longer because I was afraid it was a one-time only thing. To never yeah, be. and that no one else is ever going to love you, and right. so I have to do this because, because I have to do this. Yeah, totally. Um. So your decision to kind of get into sex work, was that, like, I'm curious because it's something that I have considered. It's something that I've, you know, thought about because people always say to us, like, 
hey, so how does sex and disability work? And I'm always like, well, you want to learn? Come, come, I'll show you. But uh, two fifty an hour, thanks. Like, so what was your, what was the catalyst where you were like, okay, this is what I want to do? Um, you know, I'm a pretty, I will, I'm very grounded, nurturing sort of uh, social working type of person, but I'm also an artist and I will go to extremes. So I got to San Francisco and I had a lot of casual sex adventure. And when I say a lot, a lot, dozens and dozens <laughs> on Craigslist. Do you have any awesome, do you have any awesome stories that you want to share with us? I, it was interesting. Um, a lot of it was very banal. I, I quickly learned that sex can be done really badly and really boring and really stupid. <laughs> but I yeah. was still high on getting it done, so I just kept doing it, even though it was like eating junk food after a while. Do you think that high was related to your disability? Exactly. I was still tripping out on the fact that I could make it happen. Also, I think there, um, and I've thought this, listening to a lot of your shows, like a certain kind of, we, because what I am now is I'm certified as a, we can talk about this later, a somatic sex educator. So I counsel people around sexuality in terms of how they feel about their bodies, whether they're disabled or not. And, right. and not just how they feel about their bodies, but actually how they feel their bodies to what extent are they in touch with the feeling of being in their bodies wow that's intense um and i know that as a person with chronic pain i know how to dissociate from my body really intensely and um you know you'll hear this about women who are said to be slutty or have too much sex or sex workers oh well they were traumatized and so they dissociate from their bodies well um sometimes there is some truth to that it doesn't mean that the whole thing is based on trauma, but I was having a lot of sex and just kind of watching myself do it from afar, you know? And then yeah. I realized, wait, this should be so much more fun and pleasurable and intense, and it's not just about watching it happen. For a while, I was just on a little of a power trip to see it happening, but I wasn't really feeling much. And so have you reached a point now in yourself where you are able to feel it now? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always, and that comes and goes, and that's our life's work as spiritual sexual beings because, right. you know, just like on any given day, you wake up and you're like, I feel really good in my body today, and I like the way the air feels on my skin, or I'm especially sensitive to how the coffee feels on my taste, you know, my mouth. And other days you're just like, blah, blah, you don't feel it, you know? So it's always yeah. a, a journey to get in touch with your body every day and certainly through sexuality it ebbs and flows. And it's so rare for disabled people sometimes to be given the opportunity to get in touch with their body and how their body really feels. Exactly, yeah. There's, I mean, for the person who's not disabled, you know, there's all this talk about um, getting in touch with your senses and body positivity. But po body positivity really isn't just about deciding your body is great. You can't decide that until you really feel your body. So Yeah. Um, and the trouble with, with body positivity and feeling your body as a disabled person, at least in my case, needing as much help as I do 
it isn't so much that I can't feel my body. It's that typically when I feel it, it's at the behest of someone else. Yeah. So you mean like the behest of? Sorry, that was the, that was my that was me being like, let's use a big <laughs> word that we're not really sure what it means, and I hope they go. What I mean, <laughs> I just mean that when I feel my body, it's someone else touching it. It's like a care attendant doing work with me. Uh, and is that to... because you have limited sensation, like um? No, I have full sensation, but when I feel it, you know, I can touch my body, but only, I can only touch, like, my upper half. Mm-hmm. I can I can touch my lower half, and anybody else who wants to touch my lower half can also do that. But it, <laughs> what I'm saying is I can't, like, if I wanted to access my toes, I can't, or I wanted to touch my bum, I couldn't. So oh, yeah, me certain, too. <laughs> certain ways of me touching my, certain ways of me getting in touch with my body come through if my attendant's putting my pants on or if there's you know so it's it's my body is almost not it's mine but it's not mine if that makes sense right right which makes it even more imperative to claim all the parts that are more solidly yours like eroticizing the crease of your elbows and your earlobes and you know just own all that stuff feel it as much as you can um that's the majority of the work i do with clients is really eroticizing all parts of your body. And is that, like, do you typically, and you said you do it with everybody, but is it something that you, do you find it's different when you encounter a disabled client? Yeah, you know, disabled clients are the most challenging because I get how challenging it is. The same easy answers don't work for us. Um, and I know that, and I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. Um, but at the same time, they're the same answers. (laughs) Go back to the same answers. Um, you know, it, and there's, um, you know, like, a I was really inspired. Do you know Rafe Biggs? I do. Yeah. So Rafe is a guy I met doing, um, contact improv and disabled dance in San Francisco. Yeah, he does sexability. Yeah, and I've been so... So Rafe, you know, famously is that he worked with a sex worker because he doesn't have feeling, I believe, from his nipples down uh, after becoming paraplegic in later life. And so he worked with a sex worker to um, learn to orgasm from stimulation to his thumb. Wow. And... Um, Rafe, if you're listening, you need to come on the podcast and talk about that. Rafe is, oh, you didn't know that story. Yeah, it's amazing. That's a great story, Rafe. Rafe, you know I want you on the podcast, yeah, so come on, because that'd be great. Um, so, you know, I talk about Rafe constantly to my co- uh, clients, and um, it, it's just, but there's a, a part, you know, I say that story, but I also don't want to sound overly inspirational, like, Oh, okay, the lower half of you doesn't work anymore. But good news, you can learn to come through your thumb. You know, I don't want to be so reductive like that. <laughs> to come through your thumb, yeah. yeah. I don't want to be reductive, but I really mean it because people are so hung up in their sexuality living just in their dick or just in their clit, and it really doesn't. Like, your whole yeah. body is a sexual organ, and that's what yeah. I'm trying to get across. And it totally is. And I think even as disabled people, we are taught that, and I'm, I'm congenitally disabled, born with CP, 
as everybody knows. But, you know, we, even me, I'm taught that the sex organ is your dick. Mm-hmm. Or your or your or your clit or all those things, and so that's that's you learn even as a disabled person that this is how you have sex. If you're gonna have sex, if you're lucky enough to engage in sex, your dick better work, right. or your organ better work. Um, so I get it. So the whole idea that you are willing to expand on that as a disabled person is really cool um, and really kind of progressive again because we don't we don't see that so often, like. We don't have other disabled people telling us, like, hey, let's explore our whole body. It's the secret to all the best sexuality. It's not a compensatory mechanism. It is the real thing, is your whole body needs to become sexualized. Um, And, you know, because I work, the majority of the men that I work with as a sex worker, um, they're not disabled. They don't identify as disabled, but they all pretty much the large percentage of them have erectile dysfunction, which is just a okay. huge, hugely common in society, but we just don't talk about it. It's more yeah. the norm than the exception. So their dicks don't work. The rest of them seems totally able-bodied. And um, right. so it becomes a kind of sexual disability. So, And I really talk about, like, you know, <laughs> they're like, uh, I tell them the story of race because I'm like, look, you could lack sensation throughout your whole body and it wouldn't matter because really it's your whole body as a sexual organ. Yeah. And I, you know, I try to be very careful in that too because I'm not trying to set up the, oh, well, think of this poor guy who's paralyzed and has to come through his thumb. That's not my point. My point is really it's not about your dick. Really. <laughs> no. No, and and it shouldn't be, and and unfortunately, like I was saying, even me, who you know, who does this work and who meets people who who look at sexuality a little bit differently and who do all that stuff, I've been taught that the sex organ is my, is my cock, mm-hmm. and so for if you were to sit down with me and, and try to retrain that, it would even take me, someone who is progressive and who's you know open to the to the idea of changing that, I would even go. Whoa, what? How did, what? Really? Okay. Yeah, it's just, you know, um, and it's even, it's true for me too. Um, I'm constantly, you know, just as I age and change, having different fluctuations to the way my vulva works or just based on my moods and my body chemistry. And I'll freak out and think, oh, well, this doesn't have, I don't get wet or I don't get this. And I'm like, okay, well. You know, things and, uh, ebb and flow and process. And, yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm, I am curious about the sex work piece. Um, so that came about just kind of through you doing doing casual sex, and you just decided that okay, I can, I can make this part of my living. Yeah, it's a more interesting story than that. I mean, I got very good at having sex with men I met on the internet. Um, Me too, though. (laughs) It's a modern life we live in, and it became a skill. And um, and it wasn't just about a lot of them. It was about weird capers we'd go on. Like, they'd come over at 2 in the morning, and help me do my laundry and fold my underwear or, you know, eat Cheetos and smoke pot and watch some indie film. And it was like about 
the romance and the connection and the eroticism of meeting someone new, which is the real work of being yeah. an escort or, yeah. So I was good at that. Yeah. And um, I did it for a long time. And then I was in a 10-year relationship. And so I stopped. And I missed it. But I very much love my partner. And I really didn't realize how much I missed it. Um, and I was a disability advocate, social worker, as there, you probably know in San Francisco and Berkeley, there's a robust disability. Oh, yeah. There's a huge disability community over there. So I was in deep into the disability social justice scene. I was working in nursing homes, mostly with men who were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s who had been institutionalized in nursing homes and had no way of getting out. Um, it was a very depressing job because there wasn't much I could really for them um, yeah. they thought I had the power like I could pull some social worker strings but all I could do is try to you know go and tell them their rights and push paperwork along but it, it's very disheartening because the wheels move so slowly for any real change to happen for them. yeah the, the bureaucracy of disability in any context Right. Yeah. Slow. So I burned out. I, I'm very sensitive. I freaked out. I started having nightmares and panic attacks. And I had gone through this breakup of a 10 year relationship. So it was just it was a bad time and um, went back to Internet dating, Internet sex and would dream of my clients, the men in the nursing home and think, well, it's all bullshit what I'm doing for them, the paperwork and stuff. I could at least give them hand jobs. That would make them happy. <laughs> I can at least give you a hand. Like, right. Yeah. But I didn't do that. I, I did not do that because I still needed my job. Um, but eventually I um, met a man online through casual dating and he introduced me to escort work. Not like a pimp. Like he was a male escort actually. Uh, right. And um, kind of turned my life around and I quit my social work job because it was just I felt like it was untrue it was I wasn't really helping those guys I was giving them false hope and but I, I that was around when the sessions came out yeah so a couple of years ago now yeah um what did you as as okay okay as a disabled sex worker what did you think of that film what did you think of that portrayal so that was 2012 um and it wasn't the greatest, you know, uh, some of my friends in Berkeley were good friends with um. Oh, his name is Casey. Mark. Yeah, they were good friends with him. They're older than me, so they knew him, and they said, oh, it's corny, it's sappy, it isn't the greatest portrayal, and I, I got that, and I understood that, but at the same time, I saw the movie, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I need to unite, I need, Mark and Helen Hunt need to be the same person, like... <laughs> You know, so I'm just yeah. gonna be a sex worker and a disabled woman, and like that. So, really, you use a movie that didn't necessarily. You, you use a, a media piece that didn't necessarily uplift any of us to be like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this portrayal to be like, I could do that and I can do it better. Here's, here's I what know. I'm gonna do." Yeah, thank you. That's a nice reframing. <laughs> Uh, I think that, like, I, I, I have honestly, quite honestly, I've considered sex work, like I said. I've considered, just because I love, much like you, I have a very high sex drive. Very high sex drive. Because I think it's been denied to me in so many ways. 
So the but the urgency and the desire is always there, always under the surface, right there. Uh, so, but I get tired of questions like, "Oh, how does it work? Like, how do we do this?" And it's like, "Hey, you really want to learn? Put put the money put the money on the counter. Pay me the dollars. We'll hang out, and then I'll show you." Yeah. Um. Yeah. Part of it. A part of it was that you know, very much my social experiment of putting myself out that way but right. you know i mean women have an unfair advantage so it was always easier for me as a disabled woman to have a lot more hookups you know i hear you you talk about it and you struggle to meet people or it sounds like you do like now see i don't there's i don't know be careful what you wish for because nothing will like change your sex drive and becoming a sex worker yeah. <laughs> See, I, I, I mean, I meet a lot of people because I'm proudly a slut. Proudly right, a slut. Right, right. It sounds like you do yeah. way more than me at this point. At this point, I'm like, oh, I'm going to lay in bed with my chihuahua and we're going to read a book. <laughs> and I... Like, not so much. I mean, the sex drive is there, like, but this, the actual sex doesn't happen for months on end. Like, I, 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 I'm always on the prowl, but I, I've reached a point in my sexual development, I think, and also as my disability starts to change, like, I've noticed that I, I want to have more of, a, of an emotional connection with who I'm fucking. So I'll go on the apps like Grindr or Scruff, which is like the male hookup apps that everybody goes on, and I'll be like, hey, want to come over and hang out? Actually hang out and then get to know me, and then maybe we'll fuck at the end? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and that has, that has gotten really hard for me. So I do almost no personal hookups or even hangouts anymore because... And that- yeah, I can't. I can't sleep with random guys anymore and have random bad sex. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, um, and I, I do want awesome connection with sex positive, progressive people. Um, but I'm a little bit of a one woman circus as a disabled woman who's a sex worker that has a little chihuahua that has tattoos. That, you know, so yeah. But I think I think what you do is so it's so it's what all of us I think as disabled people really if we thought about it for a minute if we thought about what we wanted sexually and what we could achieve sexually and and combined with the fact that we are chronically underfunded in so many ways the idea of using our crippled bodies to get not only the affection we seek but also money that we need to survive is really attractive as a disabled person. Well, yeah, I mean, and I was going to say earlier about what it means to be protected by your family and live with your family and be a young person without a sex life. And a lot of it has to do with the way adulthood is bestowed upon able-bodied people. And a lot of that has to do with your ability to drive or get yourself places and work in a normal way. And so if you're not doing those things, then you're also not going to have a sexuality. It's all intertwined. The idea of independence and independently fucking somebody mm-hmm. is totally intertwined in, with being a grown-up. And so many of us, I am 30, I'll be 33 in four months, and I still feel, in terms of my sexuality, many times, I still feel like a teenager. I still feel like I'm 17, being like, oh, how do I do this? Yeah, I... um. I kind of feel like I'm an old woman, which is equally scary. <laughs> I feel like I'm 80 years old, and I'm like one of those um, 
like old sex doctor ladies that want to do Yeah, oh yeah, my friend of mine has compared because we're about the same height. Um, <laughs> so I need a nice, good houseboy that I can have really good conversations with and who's really my friend, but I think it's going to be a long time coming. Before. So anybody listening <laughs> who wants to move into Amber's yeah, place, definitely. let us know. Yeah. But in the meantime, like the more sexualized, just like with anything, so disability desexualizes you in a way, it makes you invisible in a way, and sexualizing yourself makes you hyper visible and somehow those collide in the middle and put you on this kind of weird island yeah 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 i agree it's a it's a really weird space like when whenever we see able-bodied people being sexualized like oh yeah that's normal but the minute i do it the minute i wear a harness anywhere the world goes wow you're sexualizing yourself why and it's like well why not yeah you did why can't i Right, definitely, and uh, yeah, it's well, it's you know, and I think about that a lot lately with you know Trump making fun of the person with a disability, and then like Meryl Streep making those comments about it, and what did it mean to have this beautiful actress? Um, kind of pity. Who had? Who? Yeah, she really had no like. Here's my thoughts on that. I, I appreciate what she said. Yeah in the context that she thought she was saying it in. But also, Meryl, you don't know what you're talking about. The guy is... Very accomplished. The, the, he's very accomplished. He has a name. It was Serge something. I can't remember his last yeah. name, but it was definitely Serge whatever. Let's say his name. His name was Serge. So let's start there. He wasn't this pitiful guy. He... And, you know, if I were him, I would be like, oh, Meryl Streep just said my name. Awesome. But, like... You're si- Meryl, you're sitting in a room full of privileged people who have no idea the experience he has. Yeah. Like, calm yourself for a minute. You didn't do a great thing, really. You actually made it worse for a lot of us. So that, yeah, and that was weird, and I felt like I had to point out to my family the deeper nuance, because they were like, oh, that's great that she said that. I'm like, oh, look, it is and it isn't, because this, you know, the... Uh, for what you just said for the pitying aspect but then my aunt did say but 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 still the shocking thing is that trump has mocked so many people but he mocked the disabled guy based on his appearance and what does it mean that that happens and oh it's still a good thing to look at it is totally i think i think what he did was reprehensible and i think it was a huge problem but I also agree with a lot of activists who said that, you know, we're going to move away from sex for just a little bit with this, with this little tangent we're on. But uh, I think I agree with them. And they said that, you know, just because he, he mocked a disabled person, that isn't the worst thing he's ever done. It's not the worst thing he will do. And we, should, we need to stop using it as like the scariest thing we've seen him do. No, I, I just mean um, that he mocked a disabled person based on his appearance and appearance is what makes people visible as such as being disabled in our society. And I think the reason people freaked out is because that's taboo. You're not supposed to do it because they're disabled and we're not supposed to pretend not just we're cherubs. Yeah. They look different, but that just points to the very thing that we all have this issue with. We look different. 
we look different yeah. and that's what we still have to work on is um I w- I'm hoping to do a workshop at the Woodhull Sexual Freedom Summit, which happens in Washington, D.C. every summer. In August, yeah, right? Yeah, you must come. You must come. I've heard everybody says I should get down there. I'm you trying really to hard come, to figure it Andrew, out. Andrew, that would be so fun. It's so fun. And there are parties and dances. Uh, I, would, I would get so late. It would be great. You must come. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping to do like a workshop on disability and desirability and what does it really mean to cultivate desirability in all its forms yeah. around disability in our culture. It's hard because we as disabled people also are taught that we're not desirable. Right. We're taught that we aren't. So for me to expect somebody to see myself as desi- to see me as desirable is hard when I also have trouble seeing myself as desirable. Right, and I mean, and that goes back to the whole thing about how the sex is not just in your genitals. It's we're also taught in our society about what is desirable, but really that's not what makes for good sex, and that's true for disabled and able-bodied people. Is I would agree. It's not about these codes of desirability. It's the stuff under those codes that are re- it's really like, the hot stuff. Part of what I think is hot is when you said, like, when you said earlier that you your time with a client as a sex worker, you would hang out at their house, eat Cheetos, have some pot, and then you would eventually fuck. Like, but the most important part of that story was that you hung out and had Cheetos. Like, the sex was. It sounds like almost an afterthought. Yeah, I mean, it's just, well, it's, it's that the delicacy, the deliciousness of being able to share erotic anticipation with someone, to be on that yeah. ride with someone. The intimacy, like, uh, for me, sex is all about that stuff, like the flirting, the priest, like, what I, what I would refer to as pre-sex, right. which is like, nothing's happened yet, but I know it's going to, and that's way more fun than actually sex. That's way more fun, because... It's it's much less finite. It spreads out and infuses your whole being. Yeah. Do you feel as a sex worker that sometimes you've used your disability? Like, is it something in your work as a sex worker that you have? Like, oh, I'm a disabled sex worker, so come try me out. Like, I know when I when I sometimes when I engage with guys, I'll say like, I want to be your first disabled person. Like, let's do that. Is it something? Is it, is it, was it a selling point for you to get clientele and to to do that? Yes and no. In some ways, I mean, one is that when you're an escort for men and you're a woman, you need to be very safe, and and a way of being safe is to be very authentic, so that you're attracting the right clients, and you don't get some man who arrives and is disappointed in what they see and could be hateful or dangerous, you know. Of course. So you need to represent yourself accurately. Um, so I have no choice but to be very out. And even to, and also men who are reading ads for escorts, they don't read very well. They just, they just look at your boobs, and then they're like, oh, yeah. yeah. What do you mean you're disabled? And it's clear from the picture, but they're just looking at your boobs. So you have to kind of really, really put it in their face several times in the wording that you use in order so that for your own self-respect, they know who they're interacting with um, and your own self-safety. So I've had to be very out. Um, 
How did you how do you navigate how did you navigate or do you navigate safety as a sex worker with a disability? Um I suppose I take a bigger risk because I'm not physically as strong as an able-bodied woman. I can't run and I don't see that well. Yeah, I take a bigger risk. Yeah, definitely a bigger risk for sure. Um but I've been doing this for a long time personally and professionally and I do trust my intuition and I trust all of my skills as a, a writer and a researcher and of people and a social worker and I have a lot of say extrasensory stuff I rely on. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and then so, but but I'm learning more. You know, um, you know, there's that divide about whether to whether it's okay to fetishize people sexually love disabilities or not like you did that um show about the devotees and i'm i am skeeved out by devotees in my personal life still don't know what to think about it but of course in some way a lot of my clients are devotees and that's fine if they're paying me because all sex workers fetishize themselves i mean you get fetishized for having double d's or for having blonde hair you know so um so i it just depends on my mood, whether I'm working the disability stuff more or less. And yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of men would like me to pretend I'm there's a, like there's a hard push to be the hot midget. And <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that was a, uh, I didn't know that was a fetish I had. Uh, I wasn't aware. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of. Sometimes I'm like, fuck it, life's a circus anyways. It's all, I'm, you know, I'm very into Freak show, bitches. Yeah. yeah. And the burlesque community and drag queens not taking, you know, it's all about a masquerade of female beauty and being ridiculous and blowing it off, off the top and being crazy. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. fine, I could be the hot circus midget. It's all ridiculous. It's all John Waters. Um, but then other times, you know, uh, that's fetishized in an ugly way, in a disrespectful way. So um, I vacillate on it a lot. So does that happen often to you? Like the the ju- the juxtaposition of like good fetishization versus bad fetishization? Interestingly, it happens a lot more in my personal life. When I'm doing erotic massage as a sex worker, um, the clients have read my website. They know how I market myself. They're all good with it. Um, they feel connected to me in some way. And yeah, it very rarely happens with my sex worker clients. It's more when I'm out at a bar in my personal life. Um, Trying to just, you know, have a drink. Yeah. Well, and I go out to bars alone a lot, which is something even not that many able-bodied women do, but I'm a little bit cut off from my people here. A lot of my friends are still back in California. So if I want to get out of the house, right. I'll go have a drink by myself. And that's a weird thing to be the single hot midget alone in the bar, you know, and that's how this they want to Single hot you. midget in the bar. <laughs> you know, so it's some drunk, dumb frat guy who's like, have you seen that reality show about midgets? And I'm before the words are all the way out of his mouth, I'm like, no, yep whatever <laughs> just like oh, yeah i heard it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so 
And, you know, it's, it's sad. Him him asking you the question, like, the hypothetical, have you seen that reality show? Yeah, that's that his in like, for talking to me. I'm like, oh. It would be like, oh, great. That, and also, I would think, like, oh, which one? There's, like, seven. Which one would you really? like me to are choose Really? Are there from? seven of them? See, I don't even know. Yeah. There was the, there was the, the, the Little People Big World, the roll-off family, <laughs> years ago on TLC. Then there was, like, the little couple, this, this little person couple who was trying to have a baby. And then there was, like, the little doctor. She was a doctor, oh but she was a little God. person. And I would, but, you know, part of me was, like, good for these people with disabilities for, yeah, TLC exploited them a little bit. Totally they did. But also, you know TLC paid handsomely for that, for, the, for yeah, them to great. do that. Yeah, great. I mean, so work like, your body yeah. any way you can. And I'm just laughing because I'm so oblivious. I don't watch a lot of TV. So I had no idea that these shows existed till guys started using this on me in bars all the time. Using them as, like, the pickup line. Hey, did you see that reality show? Like, well, Yeah, and I didn't know there were seven of them shows. I just gathered there must be one or two because they're always saying it. Yeah, there's there's several. Uh-huh. Um, so it sounds like you've had a really storied kind of uh, personal and professional career in this work. Tell me more about, you were talking earlier about kind of the non-sex work but sexuality work you do. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, so um, I became sort of a career sex worker and escort and erotic massage provider when I was still living in San Francisco. Um, And then I decided to move back to Florida for a number of personal reasons. But that was a a crazy journey, and it was crazy to move back to the South after having lived the life I lived in San Francisco. And so it took a long time for me to get my mental health feet under me. Um, of course. <laughs> and in the meantime, I realized I needed to make like a spiritual return to San Francisco. And um, that, yes, I was fine to be a sex worker and escort, but I wanted to find a way to do the work somewhat more legitimately so that I could call myself a sexuality coach or something like that. Um Right. And short of going back to school for, you know, a PhD, um, which I couldn't afford. Because who, who has seven years and all that money, I right? I couldn't afford to do that. Um, so there is an Institute of Human Sexuality in San Francisco. It's very renowned. It's very wacky. Um, you know, other states in the country still don't totally recognize it. But it, there is definitely a lot of respect around having, it's a bodywork certification, basically, that you get through the Institute of Advanced Studies of Human Sexuality. Um, Susie Bright, Annie Sprinkle, they were the first porn stars with PhDs. They all graduated from this institute. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, so it's called a sexological body worker, and the idea is to give erotic touch um, that helps people feel their bodies. The idea is not to get them off, but to help them find their own pathway back to what feels really erotic to them, not what they think they should be doing mechanically. Yeah, their body, what they what makes them get off for them, not because they have to. Yeah, yeah. And so that was an amazing journey. And I went to this, so I call it sex school, and it was just this big cold old warehouse in San Francisco with no heat and damp and like <laughs> and you were naked for eight hours a day in this warehouse 
like masturbating in circles. Yeah, it sounds kind of weirdly slightly turned on a little bit. Kind of, you know, and then that's when I realized it really is my work and my passion because I've never been less like, I'm like, I don't want to masturbate. I want to wear this robe and drink coffee. Like, I was grumbling about it because I was really a student laboring to learn these practices. And so I'm like, yeah, really sacrificing my own. I mean, it was pleasurable on this. No, I have a good story. Like, the biggest because we were encouraged to masturbate in this circle. We didn't touch each other. We just honored each other's sexuality every morning by masturbating in this circle. We weren't even encouraged to make eye contact. It was supposed to be private for each of us, but in a circle holding each other's energy. Would you like, would you come at the end? That that, was the point of that like was welcome. The only thing that wasn't welcome is that you weren't supposed to like vibe someone out and try to like, you know, I want to hook. Yeah, maybe. It wasn't about connecting with another person. It was collective group energy, but you were all each in your own little nest of blanket. Right. Um, And so I would do it. I, um, but the most amazing. How did you feel as like the disabled midget girls? (laughs) Yeah, it was intense. And I'm still processing that, you know, because even in San Francisco, which is, and I knew it was going to be this way. I had lived in the most progressive disability city in the country, maybe in the world in some ways, although they have a lot of access problems, too. It's a very old city. Um, they so do. They do so much. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like you're grateful for it because they're progressive, but there's a lot of issues there, too. And yeah, yeah. So totally. I knew there would be a lot of things that wouldn't be accessible about the experience. Um, what they it taught me to do is to more unashamedly than ever than having been in disability circles, social justice circles to ask for what I needed because it was no, I couldn't get naked with these people and, you know, explore vulvas with these people and do vulva mapping unless I could really ask for what I needed. And what I needed was extra blankets and I needed, I couldn't sit on the floor. They could all sit on the floor. I needed a, a massage table that was set on the extra low setting. I needed all these different physical things, and they got so good at setting the room for me up every day that I'd just walk in like a queen and it'd be set up, and it became very natural. And that was a very liberating experience. Yeah, that's so great that they respected your access needs so you could access the energy and your own body in a way that is accessible for you because so often people with disabilities can't access their own body that way. And when they ask for help in that way, there's a lot of shame attached to it. Yeah. I mean, I had to pave the way. It was not set up for me. It wasn't there. I had to ask for it all, but it was, you know, it was, it was done and it was made possible. And so. How did you feel kind of being the first? Yeah. The first was, was there like a sense of, cause I know I've been, I've been, I have been in campaigns in and around Toronto where I was the first, yeah. disabled guy to do it it's liberating but also you're like I really hope and pray that I've opened the door for someone else yeah I don't I don't know that I was for actually no I know she's quite um, well known I think in Southern California she is actually a little person her name is Mary Lou and she had gone I can't think of her last name she had gone through the schooling years before me but um I don't know what her physical needs were. So it was just, you know, it's different for every person that goes in there with yeah. a disability. And it's not that common that people with disability. I, d- I still think it would be quite 
So if anybody's listening who wants to go there and they use a wheelchair and uh, other issues. Somebody wants to fly me out so I can go there. <laughs> yeah. Like, really yeah, if like, you want to talk to me more about the experience, because I really want that institute to be really accessible for people with disabilities. And... Yeah, if somebody with with some dollars wants to fly me down so I can like do it and then podcast about it, let me know. Definitely. The building needs access work. That's one thing. But, you know, because all those... I can get some good-looking men to carry me in. I'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always the barrier there with those old buildings. But, um, yeah. Those are pretty amazing. So, um, I have that certification as a sexological body worker, which is legal in California, Australia, Canada, several other countries. It is not legal in other states in the U.S. But it does legally allow me to be a coach counselor, intimacy coach. And so um, I focus a lot on the techniques I learned about visualization and breath work and creative, um, you know, creativity exercises and um, guided meditation. And I do a lot of all of that same applied work here in Florida based on that, um, what I got certified to do at the that's such a great thing you're doing. And again, as a disabled person doing it, I think there's a lot of power there because again, we don't see disabled people doing this work. Usually they are the recipients of the, the like holy able-bodied person coming and being like, Oh, I'm going to save you from yourself and I'm going to give you that orgasm. Look at me. So it's really awesome that like you have flipped that on its head and been like, here I am. I'm totally disabled, totally arthritic, totally like a midget girl doing it and being like, hey, here I am, deal with it, hi. Yeah, it's a crazy journey, and I can't say that I don't cry several times a week. It's intense. It's intense work, but I wouldn't have it any other way. TLC, what are you doing with your dollars? There's there's somebody you could talk to <laughs> oh, right, right here. TLC, figure it out. Yeah. Um, but there um, are, um, I did a presentation at the Desiree Alliance, which is a conference that happens every other year for sex workers across the United States. And I did a presentation on some other disabled sex workers. So just to name a few, the woman who runs Gimps Gone Wild. Have you heard of Gimps Gone Wild? I have heard of that. Kitten, yes. She's out of Florida too. She's in Miami. She's been going strong since 92 and it's, it's a, erotic site for uh, people with disabilities and they sell like galleries and little videos and stuff short videos so there's kitten um there's a woman out of australia there's several other folks just that's so great i mean it's so it's so it's so empowering as somebody who works in sex and disability to know there are other there are people who are taking to that next level being like i'm gonna make this really my job and i'm gonna use my body as a as a crippled person to show people that it's okay and I think that's really cool yeah 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 and you know we're so dysfunctional as a society around sexuality everybody has sexual issues whether you're an athlete or and so you know at the risk of sounding like inspiration porn but it is true that me with a disability clients have an easier time opening up to me about their sexuality issues because they feel like, oh, you have things to contend with, and so let me tell you about these deep, dark things I've always worried were wrong with me sexually, and it yeah. it really is a bridge there. 
And it really allows you to look at their experience differently under a different lens in doing the work you do. That's great. I was, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. you we could talk forever. Yeah, when, when I hit off, we're going to talk some more because, wow. But uh, how can people get a hold of you and, and contact you about your work? Yeah, so my website is thebodypoetic with a K, uh, dot com. And I'm on Twitter under the same handle, The Body Poetic. Um, also a Facebook, The Body Poetic. And I do all kinds of, I do phone and Skype sessions. So a lot of people I work with are long distance. You know, we're not even in the same room. And um, that's especially important for people with disabilities. But, you know, totally. Yeah, so. It's all about access. And you're opening. And I do a lot of my, you know, my lectures via Skype. I do a lot of webinars and I want to do more webinars because I think even if I can't be in the same room with you, I can still give you information. And I think it's really cool that you're using, again, you're using technology to advance sexuality of disabled people. Yeah. Technology has been a huge equalizer in that realm. Totally. I completely agree. Um, the last thing I want to ask you, the motto of this show is to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Is there one last light that you'd like to shine before we end today? I just want to remind people to feel their bodies and that sexuality is your whole life. It's spirituality. It's your full body. It's loving the feeling of your body. Totally. And if anybody wants to feel my body while I feel (laughs) my body, I'm totally down for that. Amber, it was such a pleasure. I loved your story. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing your your experiences with us. I think you are the first sex worker that I've had on the show. So that's kind of awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. You're wonderful. I love your shows. Thanks so much. And we'll talk soon. I loved how open Amber was about her experiences and how important her connection to her body was as a disabled woman. I love how she referred to herself as a midget. I love how she was so vulnerable in that interview. And and while we talked a little bit about sex work, we also talked a lot about the body and how important the connection to the body is and the emotional connection to yourself and how important when we're looking at sexuality to look at the whole part of the body. And I really appreciate everything she had to say was such a fascinating interview. I don't have much more to say. It was just great. I think everybody should check out The Body Poetic. They should go to thebodypoeticwithak.com, check out her work, and be in touch with her. She's somebody who has a lot of insight into the disabled body, and I think we should be uplifting her voice way more. So, Amber, thank you so much for coming on the show. I loved having you, and I'd have you back again anytime. And you said during the interview that I was one of the catalysts for what you do. What you have given me with this interview is going to help me propel what I do. So thank you so, so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, read my blogs or book me to shine a bright light on sex and disability with you head over to www.andrewgerza.com. This episode of Disability After Dark is a handmade piece of crippled content created just for you. We record, edit, and produce each piece of this show to bring disability to you in a fresh, honest, and sexy way. 
Help us create more episodes and support Cripple content creation by heading over to our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash and pledging if you can. Your monthly pledge goes towards things like audio equipment, podcast hosting subscriptions, and everything we need to bring this disability-centered program to you. By pledging your support, you're showing that disability content has value, means something, and deserves a place in our media landscape. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Copyright Notice This program was created and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Any and all materials, including graphics, music, and audio recordings are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Thank you.